This is episode 682 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's podcast, How to Prep in Short-Term Locations. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and bi-monthly online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. To join the community, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. have a good one for you today from Daisy Luther over at The Organic Prepper. And so we're going to go ahead and jump right into this one. Um, before we do, though, you might be thinking, okay, Todd, you're talking about um, prepping in, in locations. I, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm not, I'm not going to a temporary location. But here's the thing. You can apply this in so many different ways. So let me ask you this question. Do you ever take off from your prepping focus? I mean, is that ever okay? So not just moving to a temporary location, but what about when you travel, or you're on vacation far away. So you can be on work travel, but you can be on vacation, you know, with your family far away from home. You know, what happens when you're in these locations? Have you ever thought about your preparedness? And for some, it could cause a little bit of anxiety because you're in a faraway place and then, you know, you're far away from your preps and you're, you're thinking, man, what happens if the balloon goes up, you know, when I'm here, I've been I've been prepping all these years and here I am so far away from home. You know, what what do I do here and uh, how do I need to proceed? And so I think this article and uh, this podcast gives you a lot of great information. So we're going to read this one by Daisy Luther again of The Organic Prepper. And then I'm going to go ahead and come back at the end because I just have some ideas. And I do have a friend that's kind of living this same life. She, she and her husband are not preppers, uh, but uh, I, you know, I'll share a little bit of information that she gave me as they were uh, going into this type of lifestyle, this nomadic lifestyle where they're traveling from place to place and living in temporary locations. So let's go ahead and go on over to theorganicprepper.com and jump into this one, how to prep in short-term locations. More and more people are living in temporary or mobile locations as the economy continues to falter. As the moratoriums on evictions end, the United States could soon see a wave of homelessness, the likes of which has not occurred since the Dust Bowl. People will be seeking shelter in temporary locations, in their vehicles, in RVs, and in campers. Many will not be leaving their homes by choice, but due to dire economic circumstances. Now, while you're in for a shocking change if a nomadic lifestyle is suddenly thrust upon you, it doesn't mean that you can't still be prepared. I deliberately chose to be a nomad myself. After my youngest daughter left the nest, I decided to sell or give away most of my things and set out to live a nomadic lifestyle. Over the past two years, I've been fortunate enough to briefly live in Greece, northern Macedonia, Montenegro, Mexico, and I have visited Kosovo, Albania, Austria, Canada, Bosnia, and Croatia, as well as many states in the U.S. 
My goal has always been to see the world and immerse myself in other cultures. Despite COVID shutting down many options, I've still been able to embrace my wandering spirit and am currently in a sublet in Mexico. And this has a lot of folks asking me, have you given up on prepping? It seems that every interview I do and in at least a couple of emails a day, someone asks me whether I still practice what I preach, preparedness. The answer is absolutely yes. Prepping looks a lot different when you are in a temporary location or living in an RV or van, but it can and should still be done. One very important factor in living a nomadic lifestyle is that if you pay attention, you can avoid a lot of problems. If you live in your RV and you hear that a hurricane or a massive ice storm is coming in a few days, there's a strong possibility that you can drive to a different location and avoid it altogether. If I was living in Europe when COVID hit, I could have relocated to a different country rapidly with more tolerable lockdown measures or, as I did, return to the U.S. and stay with one of my kids to help her with the bills when she was unable to work. Location independence can really work in your favor. As mentioned, I'm currently in Mexico, not because I'm trying to avoid a situation in the U.S., but because it's very affordable and I get to stay in a place that is relatively warm right on the beach, something I could never afford if I was in the U.S. Since I'm here for about six months, I have more food stashed away than I would if I was only planning to be here for four to six weeks. But even if I was staying a shorter period of time, I'd have enough on hand to keep myself and my pets fed and hydrated for a minimum of one month. So you prep in a temporary location, much like you would in a stationary location, except you pay more attention to space and transportability. Depending upon space, money, and the length of your stay, your options may be rather different than what you'd choose if you lived in a home with a large pantry or storage room. I find that the fact my expenses are far lower than in the U.S. allows me to donate food that I haven't eaten without feeling like I just blew a whole bunch of money. For example, here in Mexico, a can of vegetables costs the equivalent of 12 cents U.S. on sale. When I was traveling around Europe from one country to another, I did not have a vehicle, so everything had to fit in my luggage. Items I always had with me were those little packets of Just Add Water, soup and oatmeal, nuts, dried fruit, and other lightweight, uncrushable items. With those and a water filter, I could keep myself fed for a few days without heading out to the grocery store. Is that an ideal diet? Of course not. But the point here is to have things on hand regardless of your situation. Now that I have a place I'll be staying at for a few months, as well as a vehicle, I have some larger, heavier items. I also bought an, an inexpensive dehydrator that is running nearly all the time because the fresh produce here is so incredible and I can't get through my weekly farmer's market basket before things spoil. Keep in mind that when living nomadically, you may not have access to the same kind of gear that you would be or that you would in a temporary location. I don't have my Mr. Buddy heater, a generator, a big Berkey, a pressure canner, or buckets and buckets of emergency food. However, I've devised workarounds for the things I need, and I believe it's made me a far more adaptable person. Now, here are some gear substitutes for mobile preppers. Camp stoves. When I went to Selko's Urban Survival Course in Croatia, I discovered that a lot of those little stoves are not what they're cracked up to be. It's very easy to create a makeshift camp stove if you only need to boil water with it. You can find two bricks or two rocks of a similar size, build a little fire between them on a fireproof surface, and set your cooking vessel on top of your rocks or bricks. 
I have a cement balcony at my current location and two concrete blocks sitting innocuously on the end of it that could be quickly pressed into duty. Because I'm near the beach, there isn't a whole lot of wood, so I grabbed one bundle of wood sold for fire pits from the grocery store and shoved it in the closet to keep it dry. Between that and dry plant materials, I can easily build a fire and boil water right on my little patio. Other places I've stayed have had more access to wood or other materials I could burn, so there, I didn't need to buy a little bundle of wood. All right, so I just wanted to stop really quickly here. There's a couple of other things that uh, Daisy could do, and, and I know that she knows this, is you can make a wood gasifier stove. And there's plenty of videos on um, you know, on YouTube or on the internet, plenty that I have posted over the years on Prepper website. Uh, you can make a hobo can, which is very easy to make. I mean, you just need uh, a big nail and something to kind of, uh, you know, a knife to cut into the the big can. Uh, you, think of, you think of like a number 10 can or maybe a, a big coffee can. But uh, if you can want to take that just a little bit further, you can make a wood gasifier stove that would burn very, very clean and would burn uh, almost anything. I mean, the little camp stoves, I know that they talked a little bit about the camp stoves, but I've had really good success. The other thing that you could do here and not need firewood is to build a little alcohol stove. Alcohol stoves, you know, can be built with, uh, I mean, you could buy them if you wanted to, but you can build them out of a tin can, aluminum can. Uh, not a tin can, aluminum can, and uh, you can go from there. And some of the bigger ones, uh, actually, if you are on the email list, I did link to an article on how to make uh, an alcohol stove. And uh, I think one of the uh, the pictures there was of a, a Foster's beer can. You know, Foster's are really big, and so you can make a, a bigger stove using using those. But then that way you don't have to store wood. You just have some alcohol and you're able to use that to boil water if that's what you need in an emergency situation. And alcohol is very, very, very inexpensive. And so you can you can use that as well. So there's always options here in options where you're not spending any money if you are just, uh, you know, you're, you're wanting to DIY it and you're willing to do a little bit of research and you know get out some tools and stuff, you can really do it well. All right, so moving on here, uh, the next thing is a heater. So the lows here are really not that cold. I think the coldest evening we had got down to 43. Central heating is extremely rare here in coastal Mexico. People use either electric space heaters or propane heaters, similar to a Mr. Buddy with a tank the size of the ones you use for your barbecue. I opted to spend this winter without heat and see if I could toughen up a little. Most days here in the winter range from lows of 50s to high 60s, so it's not extreme. I just layer my clothing and use the dryer and oven in the mornings to take off the evening chill. I open the curtains on the southeast side of the house for a solar gain, and by early afternoon, it's sometimes so warm I need to open a window to cool things down a little. The floors here are tile, so slippers are, or shoes are a must to keep my feet warm. On really cold days or during power outages, I take the layering further with fingerless gloves, a stocking hat pulled down over my ears, and I go into my bedroom and shut the door. I get under the covers and snuggle up with my two dogs, and we stay cozy that way. When I had COVID, I did borrow an electric space heater from a neighbor because of the chills and the fever. What about a gravity-fed water filtration device? And I'm not going to lug a big Berkey around with me because it simply takes up far too much space in my vehicle. I have numerous portable options, such as a Sawyer Mini, a Live Straw, and a Live Straw water bottle. 
The one I use the most is the water bottle because I can take it anywhere and it doesn't scream quote unquote prepper. It just makes me look environmentally friendly. I also store water. Here in Mexico, the big five gallon jugs are popular and the only cost a couple of dollars. I keep 30 gallons on hand and when I empty one jug, I refill it with tap water for my dogs. I also have other beverages on hand as well as little drink packets. One thing that a lot of preppers don't realize is that filtered water doesn't necessarily taste like it came from a fresh mountain stream. Some powdered lemonade mix can help cover a less pleasant flavor. So then what about a generator? So I've written many times that instead of investing in, in, in expensive generators, I prep low tech and this has not changed being on the road. I have a solar charger that is enough to power my laptop and my phone, as well as a portable charger that's good for a few phone recharges. I can also recharge my devices using the USB ports in my Jeep, and I keep extra fuel on hand. Aside from this, I have a few different flashlights, a headlamp in both my backpack and my vehicle, an assortment of batteries, cooling cloths, these came in handy when my Jeep nearly overheated in the desert, a winter rated sleeping bag, and some winter cold weather gear, even though I'm in a southern climate. As they recently learned in Texas, you never know when unusual weather might strike, and being prepared for those extremes can be as minor as keeping you comfortable or as major as keeping you alive. When I'm not traveling in my vehicle, my kit is even smaller, and you can check it out here. And guys, I got to tell you, there's a lot of links here in her article that is uh, taking you to other uh, valuable information here. All right, so what is in my Nomad pantry? And so I think a lot of people want to know this. So now that we have the gadgets covered, what about food? When you are a nomadic, when you are nomadic or living in a short-term location, you probably won't have the same ability to stash away a year's worth of supplies. I focus on at least a month and I pay attention to my surroundings. Back when COVID struck the US, I rebuilt a food supply with a couple of trips to the store and about $500. Was it the same supply I would have had back when I had kids at home and a fixed location? Definitely not. I relied on food that didn't require long cooking times and items I could acquire quickly. Because I did my shopping about a month before the shelves were emptied in the U.S., I had plenty of options and was able to get a good variety without major limitations. If I noticed an emerging crisis where I was and could not avoid it, I would stock up quickly. Remember, one of the most important parts of being a prepper is your awareness that puts you ahead of the crowd. So I'm going to say amen to that. That is one of the things that I've been talking about for the longest time. Being aware, being up to date, knowing what is going on, having that information is very, very important. Yeah, I can't begin to tell you how many people I talk to who are who who say I don't want to look at the news? I can't look at it because if I look at it, I uh, you know I start freaking out. I don't sleep and all that kind of stuff. And my thing is, I want to look at that. I want to know all that's going on so that I can be better prepared. All right, moving on. I have two different types of food supplies: items for consumption or backup while I'm in transit, and items that I stock up on during my stay. So my in transit pantry. When I'm moving more often or traveling lightly, my pantry looks different. I have the following as the basis of my mobile pantry. Flavored instant oatmeal packs, almond or coconut milk, which is shelf stable, dry soup mix, noodle bowls, dried fruit, nuts, peanut butter, crackers, granola bars, tea, instant coffee packets, and sugar packets. I can carry all of the above items in my luggage with no issue whatsoever. They're lightweight, small, and easily portable. 
Aside from the crackers, none of these things are easily crushed by your other gear either. The quality you purchase of the above items depends upon your location and your budget. In some areas, you might be able to easily access organic versions, and in others, you may be looking at Mr. Noodle and peanut M&Ms. Obviously, this is not a diet to sustain you for a long time, especially if you're expending a lot of calories, but it would get you through a few days to a week. Your mileage may vary. So what about the short-term location pantry? When I arrive at an Airbnb or rental, I sometimes have a meal from the items above on the first night before I go out and search for hardier fare. Once I'm settled in, then I add perishables like fresh produce, bread, and meat. As well, if I'm going to be there for more than a few days, I pick up some inexpensive shelf-stable items at those locations that are too heavy or too fragile to carry around, like some of the items in the list below. Now, while living in Mexico, the area where I'm staying went red. They have color codes for the level of coronavirus restrictions. I went to the store the first day and stocked up on a few additional items because here they have checkpoints where you're asked about your destination and I was not confident enough in my Spanish to relish such an interaction. So I've gone more than a month on my supplies here without another trip to the store and didn't feel that I was deprived. Although I probably would have chosen different food if going to stores had been viable. My pantry here is similar to the quick pantry I bought during my COVID quarantine prep, just with Mexican versions of the foods. So canned goods, tortillas, pouches of refried beans, crackers, peanut butter, condiments, tuna, cookies or chocolate. If I can't leave my condo, I need some joy in my life. Long-lasting produce like potatoes, onions, carrots, squash, and cabbage. Rice, pasta, meat and veggies for the freezer. Seasonings to make everything taste better coffee, and almond milk Tetris. Keep in mind that these items do not make up the majority of my diet. These are the things that I have put aside in case I have to hunker down, which certainly paid off here during the lockdown. I still visit the farm stand and bakery weekly and dine out to enjoy the local cuisine. Depending on your situation, you might hit the grocery store to supplement your basic supplies. So it's all about being adaptable. One of my major takeaways from my nomadic lifestyle is that adaptability and the willingness to be flexible are essential. And if these traits are essential just traveling, imagine how much more so they are when you're going through difficult times. While most folks prefer a full spice rack, a wealth of kitchen implements, and a giant storage room, the reality is that it might not be possible for everyone particularly as the economy continues to wreak havoc on personal finances and the supply chain continues to erode. As I wrote earlier this year, that prepping would look a lot different than before. There are big changes ahead for many people, and surviving may look different than you expected it to. Selko has written about leaving everything behind to survive. Fabian has written about the survival lessons to be learned from the homeless and from the Great Depression. Hopefully, we won't see anything as extreme as these examples, but just know that even if the way things go is different than you had planned, you can still be adaptable, prepared, and resilient. All right. So I love that last line uh, that she talked about. You you can still plan to be adaptable, prepared and resilient because I do think that that's going to be important for many of us moving forward. Um, There is or there are a lot of great comments here. So you can come check out the comment section over at Daisy's uh, article. And um, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can easily get to it. A lot of great information over here. 
So I wanted to just kind of share a couple of my ideas here, um, moving on you know, from this, uh, just kind of adding to this article. One of the things that you can do if you are going to live a nomadic lifestyle, and again, I think that and maybe not just a nomadic lifestyle, maybe you are having to do it because uh, you have to move or, or what have you. Uh, maybe you don't want to do that. But I know people who have left, and I, and I shared at the very beginning, I have a friend who is uh, living a nomadic lifestyle right now, and they've kind of did it by choice, but also uh, not necessarily. And so they're not preppers, um, but they are they do they do listen. So when COVID happened, it was kind of funny. So she's a uh, she's on contract, and uh, she was all over the United States. She goes all over. She travels all over the United States and spends a couple of days at a time. And uh, back when they d- did have a home, and when COVID hit, um, she was uh, listening to what I was I was explaining. And if you've listened to me for a while, I was sharing with my team about how I thought things were going to go and uh, that, you know, they, they would be smart to get prepared. And this happened right before um, spring break. So we're coming to, you know, it's been about a year. We're, we're coming very close to that year here. And she was listening and she knew that I have the website. She knew that I have the podcast and all that kind of stuff, but she never, I guess, heard me uh, reference all this kind of information to the, the rest of the team. And so she listened and paid attention. So that evening she got on the Amazon and ordered all this stuff. And her husband called her like, what is going on? Why are you ordering? Because there he was getting boxes and boxes of things delivered over from Amazon. And she was like, hey, we're getting prepared for what's happening, you know, with this virus and stuff like that. So uh, in a way, she is a prepper. They are they are preppers. Um, but wouldn't probably you wouldn't consider them for the, the mo- most of the people that listen to this podcast or hit prepper website on a regular basis. But anyway, one of the things they did, and they live this lifestyle, and and they love to travel and they love to do that, that type of stuff, is they wound up renting a mini storage. Now they sold a lot of their things, they got rid of a lot of their things, they donated a lot of the their things, but the the things that they wanted to hold on to. They, they decided to put into a mini storage. And so that might be one of your uh, things that you could do is to rent a mini storage. There's all different kinds of mini storages. There's some that are, are not climate controlled. I would suggest having a climate control uh, controlled mini storage uh, because then, you know, you that takes away the, you know, the, all the heat and all that kind of aspect to it. Um, there's still going to be heat there. I mean, I don't, I don't believe the climate control, they keep it down like really, really low. So I, I don't know about keeping a lot of food in there. Um, you just have to uh, talk to the people that own the mini storage. And I think they wouldn't allow you to put food in there anyway, but you could talk to them about how cold it gets or, or the temperature that they keep in there. And uh, the other thing you probably would want to do is keep some insurance. So I have a friend who lost a lot of stuff in a mini storage because there was a, a leak in the roof and it damaged a lot of things. They didn't realize that. So uh, organizing your mini storage and being able to get in there and look at things every once in a while, that would be a great idea. But that is always a possibility if you don't want to get rid of everything. So if you are this prepper who is paying attention and you're thinking about all the things that are going on and you can get ahead of something, so that could be that you get ahead of what is happening and you get back to your mini storage to get the things that you need to be able to take with you and whatever that looks like. If that is maybe you are going to get a small little trailer to put things on and you're able to you know go from there, 
that's something that's possible. The other thing that you can do is if you have a family member who has, maybe they have a bigger home, maybe they have some spare bedrooms, uh, maybe they have some spare you know, space that they're willing to uh, allow you to put things you could, you know, you can put your items there, your preparedness items there. And that would be a win-win because you can let them know, hey, here, here are my preps. And if you ever need them, they are available to you. Uh, but uh, if you can keep them as well, and if you never get into them, then if I need them, I can always come back and get those. And so that might be an option for you if you find yourself having to move or having to be mobile or being in a temporary location or whatever it might be uh, because of the economy or because you choose to do that. So that's always the possibility there. Another thing that I would do is if I was being mobile. And, you know, the other thing is I, I, when I say mobile and I, I'm thinking of, there are people that have emailed me that, uh, that listen to the podcast that read prepper website when they can, that are, uh, truckers, right? They, they, they drive the big rigs across the country. And so a lot of the times they're living in their rigs. They have these small spaces that they're living in. So really, I guess going back to what I was saying at the very beginning, this applies to so many different situations in so many different ways. But one of the things that I would do as well is if I was traveling, if I was going somewhere, is I would bring up Google Maps. Now, I have been de-Googling myself and de-Microsofting myself from uh, from, all the different softwares and stuff like that. But I do think that Google is a, or at least Google Maps uh, is beneficial because you can really drill down and you can see specific things that are out there and you can see see that street view and uh, you can get a, a, a good idea for what's around there. A lot of people will put their businesses on Google Maps. So if you're going to a location, you can do quick searches around there and get a good idea of the lay of the land of what is there. Where are the grocery stores? Maybe where are some specialty stores? Um, and, and do a little bit of searching before you actually show up there so that you already have some ideas of what to do and where to go. You can always look up water sources as well and have a good idea of where you can get water if you are in an emergency situation. And that's not just for the location that you're at. That's also while you're traveling, you know, if you were to follow the freeway or, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a bigger scale, right, you're able to, to, to zoom out a little bit. Um, you would see big bodies of water where, you know, you could stop and get water if you needed to. And it's just something good to have in the back of your mind. Uh, I think that's a great uh, thing to do if you were ever traveling anywhere. The other thing that I would do as well is if you were traveling and you were going places and you have a little bit of time um, is looking up the crime reports. Um, one of the things that, that is, is out there is most police departments do share their crime statistics with the federal government. And if they do that, then they put them on on um, they put them on on websites. And uh, we've talked about that before in the past. And I know I've shared information from uh, uh, on my website, Prepared Christian, about this. I'll actually link to that article in the show notes if you want to go look up crime statistics and things like that. So uh, it will give you an idea of what is going on around there. So if you are uh, traveling, if you are in a uh, you know nomadic lifestyle type thing uh, that you're doing, then you can make some choices by the amount of crime that is there. Like, hey, I don't, I don't want to go live in that area or that neighborhood because the crime is really high. I think I'm going to choose this area over here. 
And then one of the other pieces of advice that my friend uh, was given that uh, when she was traveling is they were moving around and they were just trying to, you know, just bouncing around from place to place. And she was really looking at it more like when she would travel for work. So she would go to one place and be there for a week and then travel to another place. And one of the things that someone who uh, they met up with uh, lives the same kind of nomadic lifestyle recommended that you stay somewhere for one month or at least six weeks. And so when you do that, and Daisy alluded to this in her uh, in her article, when you do that, that gives you time to really learn the location and it really uh, gives you time to to really learn the people that are there. And so if you're, you know, because one of the things she's doing is they're thinking about, you know, where, where they want to put down roots. Um, they like the nomadic lifestyle. They know they, they like, you know, the traveling and all that kind of stuff. When there's when they spent more time in an area, they were able to find those, you know, out of the uh, you know, those those places that are just, you know, not on the, the main drive, uh, you know, for lack of a, a, a better term uh, terminology there. They were able to find, you know, those really neat places to go and eat. Uh, they were really able to meet good people and uh, fun people and interesting people. And that was important to her. Um, they were able to find, uh, you know, extracurricular activities and find where, you know, the, the locals would go. And so that was one of the important things there. You really learn uh, more about that area when you spend more time there. Because when you're going one place and you're only spending a week there, you're only going and getting what you, you know, the, the things that you see, right? And then you're kind of going on from there. So uh, that is just a, a little bit of an idea there if you're moving uh, from place to place. You know, a, a lot of people like the RV living because they're able to, I, I know, I know I have, uh, I know people that live in an RV park and they live here in the Houston area, but they live in that RV park and they don't have to pay taxes. So they pay rent and that's it. And uh, there's a big community of people. I mean, they all know each other. They all like each other. They all help each other out. And so there's a lot of people that look at that. Um, and because it's uh, a lot uh, less expensive, they really enjoy that type of living. And if they need to, they can move to another area if they if they want to. You also have the whole tiny living, the, the minimal living idea and people living in tiny spaces. And so all this kind of stuff applies to to that. So a lot of good information here, a lot of things to, to take away. But the most important thing is about the adaptability. Sometimes we get it in our head that something has to be this one way, but when you really think about it and when you really move forward with it, you can you realize that there's a lot of ways to do things and there's a lot of ways to uh, to survive and be prepared out there. So uh, that's a big, big takeaway here in this article. Well, guys, like I said, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes so you can go check it out. There's a lot of great links and uh, you can spend a lot of time learning from Daisy. So go check out her article over at theorganicprepper.com. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 682. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. 
When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets. Stay prepped and aware. Peace.